0: We declare war the power of your words. We declare war on words. Uh, We've been in We Declare War since last August, and God has really been moving in that direction through anxiety and um, different things that we've been facing. That God would just begin to touch our lives and our hearts, but God began to speak to us about our words and the power that we contain within the words that we speak, the words that we think, the words that we read, the words that we hear. There's power in your words. And Pastor Brandon, we started a um, part of this series last week that was called Dropping the F Bomb. (laughs) I know. That doesn't seem real nice, does it? Or something to speak from the pulpit. But why does forgiveness seem like a curse word to us? Why is it so hard to speak that word? Why does it seem like it's like a Christian cuss word? It's something we should not say. Forgiveness. The words, I forgive you. The words, forgive me. That come out of our mouth. Forgiveness is a powerful tool and when we let it drop out of our mouths it can release a bomb to annihilate the enemy if we would allow it. Everything we do I believe in war is very strategic. Everything that we say in this war that we're fighting in, Um, with jesus christ and who we are as his soldiers in this war has to be strategic and i believe that this is a time more than ever that we have to learn to use our words for his glory and for his kingdom and when we do so the power of god begins to reign in our lives and forgiveness is one of the hardest words for any of us to ever utter in our lives from the time that we were little it is hard for somebody to say i'm sorry It's not something we're just born to do. We don't just grow. We don't just grow as a baby and then begin to utter the words mama and dada. We are taught those words by habits from the ones that are around us that begin to speak and say mama, say dada. You know what I'm saying? Those things are repeated to your ear. These words are formed because Somebody around us was speaking into our lives, those things. Every word that we say came from something that was a habit in this world. Using the words forgive me and I forgive you are some of the hardest words to say. These words are not natural to come out of your mouth. They're not a natural response. They're not something you want to use on a regular basis. How many of you want to tell somebody to forgive you and ask for forgiveness when you know you've done something wrong? Rarely do we like to do that for the fact that it shows that we have to be what? Responsible for our actions. But these words have the biggest power I believe ever. I think the words forgive and forgive me are some of the the most powerful words ever. They were uttered. From the words of Jesus Christ The lips of him Father forgive them For they know not what they do Most of the time when we're younger We have to be coerced into saying I'm sorry You know like when you have children And that your sibling hits somebody You know when they're younger We have little ones in here But if they were to do something What do you do? Tell them that you're sorry What do you say? You know that kid ain't thinking I'm sorry, they're thinking I'll smack you again.
1: Sorry is not the word that's
0: coming to my mind. It is not a natural response for those words to come out of our mouth. This is why we say dropping the f-bomb because asking or saying the word forgive sometimes feels like that curse word, like something we're doing wrong. It's not natural for us to say those words. It's not a natural thing to use. To use these words is more like an acquired taste. What's an acquired taste? To have an acquired taste for something means a thing that comes to be liked over time. A thing that comes to be liked over time. I know a thing that we've said, and I've heard it before when I was... uh, Growing up and I heard it as I was coming back to the Lord. Do what's right because it's right until it feels right. Do what's right because it's right until it feels right. Say you're sorry. Ask for forgiveness because it's right until it feels right. It's an acquired taste. It's not something that you just want to do. It's not something, you know, if I I had something on my plate, that I had to eat because that's all there was, I would have to acquire a taste for it, especially if it was something I did not like. Right? And sometimes we are so more it's such more easy to utter actual curse words out of our mouth than the words that we should have an acquired taste for to use. We acquire a taste for the words of the world more easily than we do the words of the Lord that he gives us to put into our mouth. We like to hear the words forgive me when somebody's done wrong to Right? You better say you sorry. We have a funny thing in our house. If you don't know, my name is Pastor Jen, this is Pastor Brandon, we're the lead pastors of the house. Um, we will welcome you to today. In our home, between Brandon and I, we have this ongoing we've been married 18 years this year. We, uh, Yeah, No. So, uh, we've been married 18 years this year, and as we've grown over time, and things happen, and arguments, because, you know, we're not perfect. Well, I might be, but no, I'm just kidding. So, uh, we're not perfect, and we have arguments and disagreements. And we have a funny thing that when we know something's happened that maybe one of us has done that we might not should have said or done, we let it blow over for a minute, and then we kind of look at one another. You sorry? <laughs> no, <Nope>, not yet. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> then we'll look about 15 minutes later. You sorry? Are you sorry? Not yet. No. <laughs> so, but it's just a it's, it, we, it's a funny thing. But what's funny is we know we know when one of us has done something, and give it that moment for that forgiveness and that settlement of jesus christ to come into our hearts and settle out because all of us like to hear we're sorry but not many of us like to say we're sorry not many of us like to say forgive me we like to hear i'm sorry that i hurt you i'm sorry that i wronged you i'm sorry that i've done such and such and such and some of us want a detailed list of what did you do like you missed one in there You know what I'm saying? Because we're so worried about somebody else and what comes out of their mouth than what we're doing for ourselves and what comes out of ours. Is it because we feel like the person's actions are excused? Is that why we don't say we're sorry or ask for forgiveness? You know, like when somebody's done something against you, and maybe you've responded in a wrong way. Is it because we feel like that that person's actions might be excused? it's like I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna tell them that I forgive them because that means that they get away with what they've done. I, I want you to think about it. Think about your motive of your heart when you, when you have somebody that you have things going in your heart against. Because today the biggest thing I want to talk about is the word unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. And this is what God told me. He said, Unforgiveness creates an unquenchable thirst and an insatiable hunger for revenge. Unforgiveness creates an unquenchable thirst and an insatiable hunger for revenge. For to get back, to make sure that you are given your just desserts for what you've done.
1: When all you can think of
0: is the person who wronged you, Eats you alive. When all that you can think of is that person being proven wrong for what they've done, paying back for what they've done, and telling you they're sorry for what they've done, you have unforgiveness in your heart. Unforgiveness is the cancer of the soul. I looked up what cancer does. And cancer gradually eats away at everything that's good inside of the body and begins to change the cells to become tumors and different things within the body because it changes what's inside of the body and it begins to eat as alive. Well, unforgiveness in your heart gradually eats away at everything decent, everything good, everything true and noble and trustworthy inside of you. And it grows angerness and bitterness and mistrust and brokenness and hatred over time. Unforgiveness causes you to view life and people through the lens of your wound instead of a life made whole. Unforgiveness causes you to look through the lens of what's been done to you instead of what God has done for you. God has for you. It clouds your judgment and up the promises that God has for you. I want you to read um, with me. I'm going to be going through chapter 25 of Genesis um, through several of those chapters. I'm not reading the whole book of it, but I'm going to be skipping around um, talking about Esau and Jacob. God brought me to that story and I have never read it the way that I did over the last couple days and week that God has given me. And so I just want to give you some background on Esau and Jacob. So Esau and Jacob were in Rebecca's womb. And there, this is in Genesis chapter 25 through chapter 32. If you want to read it on your own, it's a powerful story. It's pretty awesome how God does some things in lives. And that's what we're going to talk about today. But as Jacob and Esau are in the womb... I want to read to you verses 29 as we go on because it talks about there are two nations that are in your womb and two people from within. You shall be divided, and the one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. That's what God begins to tell Rebecca as they're in the womb, and they're like fighting with each other, coming out of the womb. You know what I'm saying? Like, anybody got children like that in your house? I'm not going to pick on my kid. It's my daughter's birthday today, so I'm not going to hard so, yeah, she turns 18. I'm going to throw up. <laughs> but I'm proud of her. I want to tell her thank you for your heart to serve, the and Norman, in this house.
1: Uh, yeah. I appreciate you. <laughs>
0: but here we go. We have Esau and Jacob. And so they were contentious brothers from the very beginning. They had a fight. It was like competition in everything that they did. Okay. And in verse 29 of chapter 25 it says once when jacob was cooking stew esau came in from the field and he was exhausted and esau said to jacob let me eat of some of that red stew for i am exhausted therefore his name was called edom jacob said sell me your birthright now and esau said i'm about to die of what use is a birthright to me and jacob said swear to me it now so he swore to him and told his birthright to jacob and then jacob gave esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus, Esau despised his birthright. Okay? Then we go to chapter 27, and over in chapter 27, and verses 30 through 45, it talks about how as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob when Jacob had scarcely gone out from his presence. So here we are at the story. Now, if you know a little backstory, what happened is Jacob lied to his father because his father was blind on his deathbed. He dressed as Esau and put animal skins all over him because he was Esau was a hairy guy. I mean, I guess he was like a burly dude. But he was hairy. I mean, if you have to put animal skins up on your body, you got hair. That's all I'm saying. Like, you need a body brush. Like, for real. And so, Jacob put animal skins on his body, and, 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 and Rebecca was all in on it, because she was all about Isaac, and wanted Isaac to be blessed, and wanted Isaac to have the most, right? That's called favoritism. Just letting you know. So what happens is, Jacob goes in and fools his father on his deathbed to get the blessing of the father of the firstborn. And so Jacob goes in, and Esau goes in after not realizing what had happened. He has no clue what's just took place. And it said, Esau, his brother, came in from hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat some of his son's game, that you may bless me. And his father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought to me and I ate it? All before you came and I blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard these words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me even also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully and he has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, Is he not rightly me, Jacob? Oh. tell you that. It takes away your sleep. When you have bitterness and anger and frustration in your heart, it literally takes away everything, like I said, that's good in you and eats at you every day. Hi, baby. And what happens when unforgiveness begins to eat at you at your heart? It's all you can think of, it's all you can dream of, it's all you can want to do, it's all you talk about, it's all that you begin with. And it begins to change everything inside of you, from the very, very depths of you. You want to get her? You're alright, you can get her. I believe that when Isaac was talking to Esau here, he was trying to explain to him that you will deal with what you have going on with your brother until you deal with it with the Lord. You will deal with it in your heart until you deal with it with the Lord. And until, because unforgiveness is a yoke that only you can break. All you. It doesn't even matter if that person tells you they're sorry for what they've done. Guess what? You can still hold it in your heart if you continue to replay the things they've done and not forgive the offense. Unforgiveness is the yoke that you carry that nobody else can take off of you but Jesus Christ. Unforgiveness is the yoke that you choose to burden yourself with that nobody else can take care of but Jesus Christ. Nobody else can allow it to be bowed down at his feet and placed at his feet and given to him so that you don't have to carry that burden anymore. And here he tells them. You shall break the yoke from your neck when you grow restless. You know, Esau had a right to be angry. He did. He was lied to. He was cheated. He was manipulated. You ever been at your worst and somebody knows it and they're going to manipulate you to get their game? You know? Like, you ever been through a hard time and you just know that somebody did something because it was to better them and not make anything for yourself? Or you've been through something that somebody did to you and you were at a moment, maybe a vulnerability and you needed something and you took a wrong turn and then it, it caused unforgiveness in your heart because somebody else is ahead of you to where you should have been. Unforgiveness. You don't have right to be mad. doesn't tell us we can't be angry at all he just says don't let the sun go down on your anger don't let it go down on your anger don't let it set down deep in there and let it deal as well because when anger begins to set in those seeds it begins to put that sense of pride that you deserve something that you are owed something that, that you have to have this to make it better and if you don't get that specific thing in your life if that one person doesn't come tell you that they're sorry for what they've done to you then, then life is miserable for the rest of your and you're going to make everybody else's life miserable around you because you are old. <laughs> Esau's unforgiveness turned into hatred and caused him to want to do <laughs> foolish things in chapter 28 Verses 6 through 9, it says, Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Paddam Aram to take a wife from there. And that, as he blessed him, he directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and gone to Paddam Aram. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac's father, Esau, Esau went to Ishmael and took. As his wife, besides the wives, he had Mahalath and the daughter of Ishmael and Abraham's son, the sister of Neboeth. So what he did was he was like, fine, you and God bless me. I'm going to do what you want. If you don't care about me, I don't care about you. I'll do something just to get at you because I know you don't like it. So I'm going to play that game and I'm going to do whatever it can take to get back at you because you hurt me. Now I'm going to hurt you in return. What's really sad is it really wasn't Isaac's fault. It came back to what Jacob had done. But see, unforgiveness clouds your judgment and makes you do things you shouldn't do. Makes you say things you shouldn't say. You find yourself in places that you shouldn't be in com- conversations that you shouldn't be in, right? Not to get into all of it, but then you begin to run your mouth like Chatty Kathy, and then what happens is you're gossiping, and you're taking all your problems to people who have no authority to take care of it, right? Unforgiveness does a lot of things in your heart it creates that unquenchable thirst and insatiable hunger for revenge though your hurt may be valid it can never validate your sin did you hear that though your hurt and your pain may be valid it can never validate your sin does that make sense Because your pain is valid, you have a right to feel angry, you have a right to feel hurt, you have a right to be upset, you have a right to feel broken, you have a right to feel like you've been wronged. But that validation of your pain does not validate you going and reacting in a way that you know does not please the Lord. You cannot allow your pain to continue to validate your actions. It doesn't work that way. You are in sin. Unforgiveness is a sin. It's just as much of a sin as an alcoholic is, as a drug addict is. Unforgiveness is a sin. It. Period. It is. And when you harbor it in your heart, guess what it does? It separates you from God. It's a sin. but see, but so and so but so and so did this and but so and so hurt me God and but so and so this has happened and then this happened in my life and this is the I do that and so and so did Unforgiveness in my heart and a sin that's growing to be a monster separating me from God. Unforgiveness only feeds your pain but leaves you unsatisfied. what they did and then they're going to feel sorry. And I'm going to set them free right now. I'm going to let them know and have a peace in my mind what's going on and what you've done because I'm going to set you free. But when you truly tell somebody that you forgive them and you begin to release that in your heart, it only releases you because you are the prisoner in your own mind, in your own heart, in your own actions. Matthew 6, 14 through 15 in the message. I want to read that to you. I can find it. Sorry. In prayer, there is a connection between what God does and what you do. You can't get forgiveness from God, for instance, without also forgiving others. If you refuse to do your part, you cut yourself off from God's part. That's like a mic drop home. Like, I could just walk out of here because that's the word. He says, if you don't forgive, I can't forgive you. Period. Hmm. Now, God, I thought you had grace. I do have grace, but my grace isn't so you can just keep doing whatever you want and live like a hellion. Why would you eat me? Why, why, why do we... Right. I mean, think about it. If we could just continue to do whatever we want, why do we need to worry about there being a heaven and a hell? Right? Then it's all a lie. But there's a reason for forgiveness. There. Have- In a session for therapy and my therapist began talking to me and he said, until you release the words that you forgive that person, it will hold you till the day that you die. Come on. And I was like, but he didn't say he's sorry. <laughs> he ain't never said, I'm sorry for what I did to you. if Jesus can forgive sins that you are going to do tomorrow, why can't you forgive the sins that somebody did yesterday? Forgiveness is not about the perfect apology or the perfect conditions outwardly, but it's about the condition of the heart. That's all God wants and all he needs. In Genesis 32, at the end of this, you wonder if Jacob and Esau ever really reconciled. And in Genesis 32, it says Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp, so he called the name of the place Mahanam. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother in the land of Sar, the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say with the Lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have often donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming out to meet you. And there are 400 men with him then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. Because all he remembers from the last part in that story was that Jacob said, if it's the last thing I do, I'm going to kill you. He said that to his brother. If it's the last thing I do, I'm going to kill you. But when you look over and you go into chapter 33, chapter 33, back, we're put to 32, and it says in verse 9, And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred that I may do good. I'm not worthy of the least of all these deeds of steadfast love and the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed the Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me. The mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do good and make your offspring out of the sand of the sea which cannot be numbered for the multitude. And what's crazy in between the story as we get into chapter 33, it's not many of us, if you really look, see, we need to know the context of the story. Jacob, then, after he says this to the Lord, do you realize that that's the night that Jacob wrestles with the angel? <coughs> He wrestles with the angel. And God began to speak to me about this, and he began to share with me about how, see, Jacob did wrong. And he had to wrestle with the angel to get his promise the right way, because he stole his promise and wronged his brother. He did what was wrong in the first place. And yes, did God bless him? Absolutely. But I'm just going to tell you this. There are still consequences for your sins and your actions, and you have to own up to your part with God. And God made Jacob wrestle with Because he had wronged his brother And here he's wrestling He's wrestling and restless But wasn't it Esau That said that God said When you become restless And let it go Then that yoke will be broken off of you So here Esau was the one Who had wrestled But now Jacob's wrestling Because He had to deal with it in his own part. See, see, what I love about this story is Esau never had to make Jacob do anything. It was God's duty. That's the part of realizing that God fights your battles. Quit trying to make somebody own up for their own sins and you just own up to yours and do your part. Just own up. Show up and own up to what God's doing in you. Go over to 33 and it said And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked and behold Esau was coming and 400 men with him So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel And the two female servants And he put the servants with their children in front Then Leah with the, her children and Rachel and Joseph And he himself went on before them Bowing himself to the ground Seven times Hmm I thought I heard in the scripture somewhere do so he forgave you seven times Seventy Okay nine. It's just forgiveness. How many times? Seven times? Seventy? Okay, but look at the key of this. Bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him. Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. And when Esau lifted up and they wept, and when he lifted up and saw the women and the children, he said, who are these to you? And Jacob said, these children Bow down, Leah likewise, and it goes on to say that Esau said, what do you mean by all this company that I need? And Jacob answered, to find favor in the sight of my Lord, but Esau said, I have enough, my brother, keep what you have for yourself. What I love about this story is that it shows me that Esau had already dealt with unforgiveness on his own, and he never needed an apology from anybody. To know to do the right thing from the Lord. He had a moment with God on his own. And it never talks about it. But he had a moment where he had bowed before the Lord. And, a, and quit being, he became restless. Quit wrestling with the Lord. And allowed that yoke to break off of his neck. And that's the power of this story. While his brother is wrestling. He is settling in the presence of the Lord. He'll tell that this happened? By the condition and the posture of his heart. Esau's ability to forgive and deal with what happened and with God on his own caused the realization that God quenches the thirst and hunger he had in his soul for things to be right. And that with or without an apology in God, he had all he needed. I love that part when he looks at his brother and he says, brother, I'm, I'm glad that you came, but I have all can be settled right here. Right here. Quit waiting. Quit waiting. Quit waiting on somebody else to come tell you they're sorry. Quit waiting for the perfect apology or how it should be said. Quit waiting for what you want to have to be done. Just let it go and give God the control and say, I forgive you. Leads you wanting But dropping The ephron leads you filled. Dropping the word Forgiveness Matthew 5 6 in the Amplified says it this way Matthew 5, 6 in the Amplified says Blessed, joyful Nourished by God's goodness are those Who hunger and thirst for Righteousness Those who actively seek right standing with God. For they will be completely satisfied. In the message it says it this way. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink and the best meal that you'll ever eat. Unforgiveness can keep you from right standing with God. Your desire. Listen to this. As we're getting ready to close out. Your desire for wanting to be right can keep you from being made right with God. Your desire for... Stand with me this morning. Your desire for wanting to be right can keep you from being made right with God. Your hunger and your thirst for revenge will always be... Unforgiveness separates you from God Unforgiveness keeps you away from righteousness Which is right standing in God When you are in right standing with God That means that you are so hungry And thirsty for his presence That nothing else can satisfy Nothing else You have to ask yourself today Do I want to be right By the word? Or do I want to be made right by God? Do I want to be right by the world and the standards that I deserve to be mad? I deserve to be frustrated. I deserve to have unforgiveness in my heart. Do I want to be right by the world? Or do I want to be made right by God? If it's the latter, let it go. Let it go. Let it go. is holding back is you. You. We have to become more hungry for his presence than we are for judgment. It's time to quit feeding your unforgiveness and feed your spirit by letting it go whatever it may be. I love it because Esau traded his rightness for righteousness. Esau traded his rightness For righteousness. And isn't it funny that he says that my birthright was stolen? The right to have something, the right to be firstborn, the right to belong. And he always felt that he needed to prove that he had the right. But the problem about it was, was his rightness was wrong. But when he became into righteousness with God, he was made right and set free. The only cure. For this cancer of unforgiveness in your soul is the forgiveness given to you by Jesus Christ. I want you to close your eyes with me today. Just close your eyes with me today. You can just set it back there for right now. Just keep your eyes closed for a moment.
1: Was variable vulnerable last week about
0: talking about how things in his heart and he had to ask for forgiveness to things. But I knew for me, for me personally I had unforgiveness in my heart for things that had happened to me, things that have happened to me from long ago and I had to deal with just me and God one night and say, God, I forgive them. For the pain that's been caused. For the things that have been done. And then I ask for forgiveness. For the unforgiveness that I held. Because my wound was creating more wounds. Wounded people hurt people. It's a fact. I want to ask you today. I know it took a minute. But let me tell you something. Do you understand that you're worth it? That the time that God has for you at this moment is all about you. And that you are worth it. And I believe that through worship he was trying to settle the ground of your heart because unforgiveness is very hard ground. It's very dry and weary, just like the place that Esau was sent. It was not a place of rain and water and wonderful. It was a desert. And are any of you in this place today feeling like you are living in a desert that has unforgiveness in your heart? If you know you have unforgiveness in your heart, raise your hands today in this room. It could be from a long time ago. It could be something that was said yesterday. If you're dealing with unforgiveness, I want you to come to the front this morning. Come to the front. The altars are open. You're spread out. And, 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 and listen to me. You, I, you don't have to worry about anybody else sitting next to you, to the left or to the right of you. I want your ultimate focus to be on who you are. Because the reason I'm saying this is because it's, it's between you and God right now. Because guess what? That person that's next to you is not going to help you right at this minute. Let, let get, just look at me right here. Look at me right here. Everybody who's standing up here for a minute. Nothing against it. But everybody if you're holding a hand to somebody next to you, let it go for a second. And the reason I am saying this He's not Jesus Christ and he is not my Lord and Savior and he cannot help me get rid of unforgiveness. That's right? Right? And the person that's next to you, what's awesome is they're standing here with you, but guess what? Only you can release that yoke that's hanging on your neck. That person next to you, guess what? They're trying to release their own unforgiveness so quit trying to attach each other's unforgiveness to each other's unforgiveness and let go of your own and then we can help lift up one another. How about that? I'm just trying to be real honest for a minute because I'm telling you what, what happens is sometimes I to somebody else's unforgiveness because it feels good for our unforgiveness to be paid because we Go ahead and close your eyes for a moment. I'm going to ask you to do something kind of difficult. But I want you to visualize the person or the thing that has caused unforgiveness in your heart. Yeah. i forward to this because I believe healing's getting ready to come for hearts that are out here. I don't want you up praying for them. I don't want your hands on them. I just want you to stretch your hands out to them because there's a release that's getting ready to happen in this room for unforgiveness of things that have been trying to hold them for a long time. And God is wanting to begin to hold on to that and hold them and help them and bring healing to them. Amen? Do you see it? If you see it, not fair to me. If you see it, not fair to me. Do you see it? You see it? Don't look at me. I'm not your problem. That's it. That's it.